So Ephesians chapter 3, beginning at verse 14. For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide, how long, how high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. So we're continuing. I'm just going to put that down over there. We're continuing to have a look uh, at Ephesians. I think we're about the halfway point now in chapter 3. As we come to the end of chapter 3, we must be around the halfway point. And we come to a prayer that Paul says. It's Paul's prayer for the church in Ephesus. But this is also my prayer. This is my prayer for us as a church. And I hope it will become your prayer too, if it's not already. But just to kind of recap, to let us know the journey we've been on as we've been going through Ephesians. Because we've had a few breaks as different people have come. And I'm obviously not going to preach in the style that we had last week from Abby. I love her passion, uh, but i just got to be me. I could try and come out with... I'm not even going to attempt it. So in Ephesians uh, 1, we looked at the fact that God chooses us and that through him we have redemption. And that we should ask for revelation and for wisdom from God. And we've been doing that. That's what we've been doing as part of our seeking what God's vision and his mission and his plan is for Usley Baptist Church. That's some of the things that we've been doing. In chapter 2, we looked at the fact that God has all the resources that we need. Our prayer is that God would provide for all that we need. And we trust and believe that he will. Though at times it might feel we're sailing a bit close to the wind. We also looked at the fact that we are members of the same household. We're part of God's household. We're all one family. And then uh, last time, as we started in chapter 3, we looked at God's plan. And the plan is simple. To share the news of the boundless riches of Christ. What a great plan to have. And that's what um, our church vision is all about. And I'm We had a really good day yesterday, or at least I think it was a good day. You can ask the other uh, members of the leadership team, Peter, Wendy and Debs. Uh, But we had a good time looking through the kind of, the condensed version of all the things that we'd shared on the walls uh, and the discussions that we had. Uh, And we've now got, which we're going to bring to the church meeting on Friday, a church vision for the next few years where we hope that God will take us. But the plan is simple, to share the news of the boundless riches of Christ. And so today then we come to this prayer. 
And it begins uh, with Paul saying that he kneels. He says this, For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven on, on earth derives its name. And I'd like you to picture for a moment somebody kneeling. Now, there's a picture on the screen, a screen of, a, of a small boy kneeling. I don't know, when you think of Paul kneeling before the Father, what that image is like. I don't know whether you've got him down on two knees and just kind of, I'll get down, I'll do it. I don't know whether you've got him down on two knees in a kind of prayerful position. I don't know whether he's down on all fours almost, leaning forward, or whether he's on one knee in a kind of proposal or knighting situation. I don't know what image you have. Perhaps it's a bit like the child in the picture who maybe is kind of just kneeling before Somebody, maybe, just because kids kneel. I can't kneel as easy as I could when I was younger. Hurts too much. But when you're a child, you kneel and you sit in all sorts of funny positions. And it's great because you might come and... The image that I've got is this kind of child kneeling and listening and talking to his dad or listening to the telling of a story or something. But the fact that Paul kneels is important. You see, our stature reflects something of how we're feeling, our confidence and our position within a particular context. I don't know how you would feel if I said, right, I'm going to put you in Sunday school this morning and we're going to bring Debs back out here. Some of you would go, great, and you'd crack on with it and think, lovely, get to work with the kids. Others of you might think, I've got kids all the time and I'm bit disappointed. Others of you might be terrified at the very prospect of being left alone with a group of children. And your posture as you walk through that door would tell us everything. Because you'd either walk in going away or... Our posture tells us a lot. It tells other people a lot. And I want to encourage you to think about the posture you take when you come before God, our Father, and to consider if you are able, what it means to bend your knees in prayer. Paul says he kneels before the Father. This, it's a position of humility. It's a position that makes him immediately lower. It is a position that says, I put my life in your hands. The normal position of prayer for Jews in that time was actually standing there's a lot of references in the New Testament and throughout the Bible where they stood. But kneeling indicates that Paul was earnest in his prayer. This was a prayer that he, he prayed earnestly. He wanted to see it come to be answered and to come into fruition. And his prayer wasn't for himself. You see, what Paul did is he was praying for others. John Stott writes, One of the best ways to discover a Christian's chief anxieties and ambitions is to study the content of their prayers and the intensity with which they pray them. We all pray about the things that concern us and are evidently not concerned about matters which we do not include in our prayers. I think that's probably a fairly true statement. If I'm bothered about something, I say, God, please help me with this. If I think I can do it on my own, I don't worry. If we look, if we consider the things we pray for, they're the things that chiefly matter to us. And I wonder how many of our prayers focus on ourselves. 
I wonder if we were to run a survey, I'm not going to ask you to put your hands up or anything like that because it might get embarrassing. I wonder how many of us would admit that when we pray, if we pray, mostly it's for ourselves. We pray for the things that, that are important to us, maybe for that exam or that job or something to do with the family. But I wonder how many of us pray for others. And when we do pray for others, do we pray with the intent? and the earnestness that Paul prays? Or do we, we pray, as I will admit that is often the case for me, that the prayers for others are kind of based on the things that they've said that they need prayer for. So someone you know, needs a new job, I'll pray for a new job for them. Or, and I'll say the words, someone needs healing, and I'll happily say that. I wonder how earnest, wonder how much concern we really, truly have. And of course, praying for those things is admirable. I'm not saying we shouldn't pray for them. I think it's really good to pray for healing and uh, for provision of need. But Paul's prayer is beyond this category. He prays that being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Is that something that you've ever prayed? Whether for yourself or for anybody. That you and I would grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. I've heard people express that God is incomprehensible. That it's foolishness to try to understand God or to grasp just how big and powerful he is. I think that that is true and Paul's not suggesting that we should do otherwise. But what he is praying is that we should grasp the grandness of his love. He says that this love surpasses knowledge. So it's not about an intellectual knowledge of God. It's not about our understanding through reading books, through studying the scriptures more. This is beyond kind of head knowledge relating to facts and data. This is knowing without doubt because of faith that God loves you. Doesn't matter what your level of education is or whether you've been to Bible school and studied theology. This is simply knowing that God loves you. And that love is wider and deeper and higher than any other love that you may know. So if you've known love from a parent or from a, a friend, from a husband or a wife, and you think that's been, that's pretty amazing love, the love I have for my children, I think, well, they couldn't be any greater love than the love I have for my children. And then there's God's love, which is even bigger. As your pastor, this is my prayer. I don't mind how well you know scripture. I don't mind how often you attend church, though I, I think it's helpful. All the various groups and activities we run. I don't care for growing a social club. There are merits in having time of fellowship together and in Bible study. But my passion is that you know that whatever you might think about yourself, Regardless of your education, of your background, your age, the colour of your skin, your gender, your sexuality, your job, your past, your mistakes, your relationships. The reason I do what I do 
is because I long for you to know how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ for you. Paul then writes, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. I just want to take verse 20 and break it down a little bit. It says, he is able to do. You see, God is not dead. He is alive and he is able. And he is willing. He is able to do all we ask because God listens. He doesn't turn a blind eye or close his ears. God listens. All we ask or imagine. See, God knows our thoughts. He knows the things we might imagine and that we might not dare to speak out loud. And he longs to answer these prayers too. And it's not just some things that we ask or imagine, it is all. It's not just bits and bobs. God can answer all of our prayers, our thoughts and our dreams. And it says he will do immeasurably more. Not only can he do what we imagine, but he can do far more. We might think that he can't change a situation that we are in. There may be reasons that he chooses not to for a while. Or at least to change them in ways that we don't anticipate. Or that we don't understand what he's trying to do. But even when we think a situation is impossible, he can do infinitely more. God's expectation is greater than ours. A few weeks ago we wrote down our hopes, our expectations are on the wall for Usley Baptist Church. Some of those hopes were that we're basically we're here. Some of those hopes are that we will grow. Whatever you hope for the church, God can do immeasurably more. And if you think, well, no, there's just a few of us. What could we possibly do? He started with 12 disciples. And one of those 12 betrayed him. One of those 12 denied him. But look where we are today. The church has spread. God's love is spread through the church throughout the world. We may only be small, but God can do immeasurably, immeasurably more. I don't know all of your situations, but I do know some of them. I know that some people are going through particular hardships and struggles for different reasons. I know that some people question their faith, whether God really, really loves you. Let me tell you this. I know today is Sunday, but Sunday is coming. What do I mean? Well, you see, after sharing the Passover meal with his friends, Jesus was betrayed. He was beaten, mocked and tortured. He was then hung on a cross to die. To his friends and his followers, it was a hopeless and distressing situation. I cannot imagine what it would have been like. Or what it would be like to have a friend of mine who I actually witness being betrayed in that way by another close friend and then dragged through the streets, persecuted and then killed. 
That, for me, would be about as hopeless a situation as I could bear. And particularly if it was somebody that I was following and I I thought, yes, they're going to change things, they're going to make a difference. Then on Sunday morning, the women went to the tomb and found it empty. The morning of Good Friday turned into the rejoicing and celebration of Easter Sunday. What was dead was made alive. Paul writes of the power that is at work in us. That power is the resurrecting life of Christ dwelling in our hearts and his spirit dwelling in his people, the church. The divine love of God gives divine power and from divine power comes divine love. Jesus is the head and the church is the body. He is the bridegroom and we the church are his bride. He is the peacemaker and we are to be a community of peace. First of all, Paul's prayer was earnest. He got down on his knees and he prayed for the church in Ephesus. My prayer is that you will know how long and wide and high and deep is God's love for you. And know this, that whatever is going on in your life, Sunday is coming. That whatever might have gone on for you, where it feels like what we call Good Friday, where it feels that death has won, that everything is hopeless, that Sunday's coming, that Christ will rise. He is alive. And he wants to give life to you. So how do you respond this morning? I think it's always important if we hear God's word, to have an opportunity to respond. If you feel like you can't see the light at the end of the tunnel, if that idea of Sunday seems a long way off, if you don't recognise the power of Christ at work in you, then I personally would be honoured to pray with you and for you. I invite you to make yourself known to me. If you want, you can come, you can sit down at the front and I'll pray with you at the end of the service, that's fine. If you want it to be at another time because you think, oh, walking down the front will be a bit embarrassing and everyone will know, then just come and let me know. We'll meet up in the week, that's fine. But I would be honoured to pray with you and I know others uh, in the church would be too. So don't feel you've just got to come to me. It might be that actually you go to a Bible study or you go to another group and you can go to people within that group and say, please pray for me, I'm going through a hardship. There's a band, Christian band called Third Day. And one of their songs that I find particularly helpful when I'm feeling low. And one day I might introduce it to you. It says this though. Please take from me my life when I don't have the strength to give it away to you. Please take from me my life when I don't have the strength to give it away to you, Jesus. You are not the first person to have wondered where God is, to have felt struggles of life and faith. So please, don't go away from here thinking that you're on your own. Please accept my offer to pray with you. However, if you're with me, if you know the reality of God's love in your life, then join me. Join me in praying for his church. 
that we would all know how long and wide and high and deep is the love of our Saviour, Jesus Christ. Before we sing, I'd like to read a blessing to you. It's called For Longing. And it says this. Blessed be the longing that brought you here and quickens your soul with wonder. May you have the courage to listen to the voice of desire that disturbs you when you have settled for something safe. May you have the wisdom to enter generously into your own unease, to discover the new direction your longing wants you to take. May the forms of your belonging in love, creativity and friendship be equal to the grandeur and the call of your soul. May the one you long for, long for you. May your dreams gradually reveal the destination of your desire. May a secret providence guide your thought and nurture your feeling. May your mind inhibit your life with the sureness with which your body inhibits the world. May your heart never be haunted by ghost structures of old damage. May you come to accept your longing as divine urgency. May you know the urgency with which God longs for you. Amen.